0: Hello, hello, welcome to episode 150 of Ordinary to Extraordinary. I'm your host, Stephen Brown, and I was not on my own today. I recorded with one of my friends, Phil Silcher. Uh, Even though he's a lawyer, he's a good dude. I like him a lot. Uh, I I see him at the gym most days. I also partake in cigars and beverages with him on occasion. And I really enjoy his company, but we had a good talk today. We went down some avenues I did not expect to go down. Um, His area of expertise as a lawyer is employment law, um, workers' comp, and labor and industries and things like that. We talked about Black Lives Matter. We talked about um, his area of law. We talked about defund the police. We talked a lot about COVID-19 and different things that are going on there. Um, Also, if you have not already, please rate, review, and share this podcast. That's how we get or how I get more exposure, and if you could do that, I would appreciate it. Anyway, on to the interview, episode 150, here we go. Sure you're ready? I'm ready. Good, because we're already recording. Um, so, yeah, you can be as far from that, like, within a foot All right. is where you want to be. Get comfy. Comfy? You sure you're not nervous? No, Sure. I'm working on making you nervous, that's my job, right? All right. So I uh, have a guest today, Phil Selcher. He is a lawyer. I'll let him talk about the part a lawyer works in. Um, and I'd talked to him ages ago about having him on to talk, and he called me out on it at the weekend and I said, What? Well, but this week. <laughs> so here we are. So I'm gonna talk about some legal things. I have some notes. He does not I may ask him some things he's uncomfortable with, um, and all he's got to do is tap out and say he doesn't want to talk about that, if that's the case. Um, I will put a disclaimer in. Phil's a lawyer. He's not your lawyer or representative, and anything we discuss here shouldn't be taken as legal advice, especially not if I say it. <laughs> anything you would add to that?
1: No, that sounds good, especially if you say it, yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. You want to tell everybody who you are, what you do, and why you do it?
1: Sure. My name is Philip Silcher. I uh, am an attorney here in Spokane, Washington. I started a firm with a few partners. Oh, a few years back now, I guess, um, right in the middle of COVID. Our specialty is workers compensation. So starting a workers comp firm in the middle of when no one's allowed to work. Definitely uh, was fraught with a few unforeseen challenges, but um, we've persevered and now we're uh, we're we're fairly busy. Um, It also meant that we needed to sort of adapt uh, the areas of law in which we practice uh, we've got a, a partner at the firm who's practicing some criminal law and uh, we do branch out uh, a pretty good amount uh, to help people with most kind of basic needs but workers comp is certainly our uh, bread and butter.
0: Alright, how old are you?
1: Oh, I'll be 31 at the end of this month.
0: I think and I, I think I knew that answer I just didn't want to guess so obviously you've mm-hmm. got experience out with starting your own firm what did you do before you started your own firm?
1: How back? How far back are we going? Well, <laughs> T-ball mean. was pretty good. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, before that, I guess in the legal sense, uh, in, even in my undergrad, I actually worked for the Attorney General's office in a, sort of a law clerk capacity. I should qualify worked as you know interned. Um, it's sort of the way we uh, kind of keep <laughs> a, a, a form of slave labor uh, alive in the internships <laughs> we have for students. <laughs> Um, But I worked there for a couple years in my undergrad, then I went on to, uh, uh, worked for a startup company, worked for, pardon me, then went to law school after that. And um, in the midst of that, I spent another two years working in, uh, at the Attorney General's office in their Labor and Industries department. So I was doing workers comp work even then but that was on the state side now i'm on the claim of uh side so all
0: right and for anybody yeah. not listening in washington labor and industries is just what this silly state calls workers comp <laughs> they have a, their own department yeah. their own system their own algorithm to charge employees that nobody can figure out and it's just a <laughs> cluster so workers compensation in washington isn't called workers compensation so
1: right um and you know, it's even trickier than that when you start working with um, the larger employers. So big box stores, for example, you know, Macy's or Lowe's or any of those, they actually uh, are self-insured. So they pay into their own fund and manage their own claims, which without, you know, going into detail, one could uh, envision a reality in which they definitely look out for their own best interests and not the interests of uh, their employees who may have worked there for 30 or more years, which I have experienced.
0: So your life is basically like an episode, or sorry, the, the movie The Rainmaker from John Grisham, <laughs> or the book The Rainmaker, I guess, as it was first. Um, uh, deny everything, see, who's, see who fights this kind of thing?
1: Uh, you know, it depends on, uh, workers' comp is such a, a unique area of law in that you, you always kind of come in behind the eight ball, so these parties, whether it's the self-insurer, the state, and the the injured worker and their vocational counselors and doctors, they've all been working for quite some time until something goes wrong and then the lawyer comes in and has to kind of figure out where we're at. So every case is sort of a snowflake and you're you're behind the eight ball, like I said, trying to figure out what you need to do, how quickly you need to do it. Um, I would love to think of myself as a rainmaker, but really in reality <laughs> I'm, I'm more scrambling to figure out what the problem is and, and stem the flow before, uh, you know, my client bleeds to death and then we can get them back on the mend
0: yeah so what made you pick this part of the law obviously you had a little bit of experience in it with your internship but what made you decide to start a firm in one of the trickiest parts of law
1: (laughs) uh boy I've been wondering that myself (laughs) (laughs) um you know it it was an opportunity that was presented to me I'll be honest when I first got into it I wasn't necessarily passionate about L&I work and that was because I didn't know much about it um I'm well aware the uh The stereotypes that attorneys have, Uh, certainly, you know, personal injury lawyers, you see their signs everywhere, and it's a bit off-putting, you know, the whole ambulance chaser thing. One call, that's all. That's exactly it. That's a local uh, one. I don't even fault those guys for it. I understand (laughs) the space they're working in, what they have to do to compete, but it was never really my calling. Um, So workers' compensation, let me start from the beginning. I did work uh, at the state, like I said, uh, for a couple uh, years as a a law clerk, that bodies, a lot of so different, uh, chores. Um, I keep using the word work loosely, but you know, whatever they ask you to do in a legal sense when you're in law school, you kind of just do research or even, you know, conduct depositions from time to time, whatever they ask. Um, at that time I met my now business partner, Jackie Findlay who was working for the state and she was retiring. Um, but you know, um uh, She's the type of person who can't sit still and uh, is passionate about her work. So she wanted to start a firm, and I got the opportunity to start a firm with a you know 30-year veteran um, at the attorney general's office uh, or from the attorney general's office, and that was too good of an opportunity to pass up. Now, when I got into this field, I really have developed a love for it. Um, the reason for that is. You know we don't have the big dollar settlements that like a personal injury firm does you know you, you think about um, all sorts of emotional injuries and different things that people can have and, and you know in their claims for for damages and even a car accident or anything like that workers comp is much more constrained it's a no-fault system so for giving up all of those big dollar amounts employers have agreed to cover an injured worker no matter of causation So it doesn't matter if the worker walks into a wall themselves and gets hurt, they're still covered for workers' comp. Like I said, that means less compensation typically, or rather, less monetary compensation for that injury. Um, And so what I'm doing really is helping a lot of sort of blue-collar workers, the people that you'd want to help, who have pretty much everything stacked against them. When you're going up against Costco and their third-party administrator and their lawyers, um, you know, the front... Sector. Self-insured,
0: so they're the insurance company exactly. as well. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, it is definitely stacked against the worker. And, I mean, I, you know, if I could give one quick PSA, is if you are injured at work, please talk to an attorney. You don't have to hire them. You don't have to do anything. If they're any kind of attorney, most of them will turn you away until you really have a problem. I don't know how many people have said, hey, come back. If something happens right now, you're fine. But so many people are taken advantage of that, um, you know, most of the workers' comp firms I know, they don't charge for a consult. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, like I said, if they're any good, they're not going to be looking to dip into any of your funds unless you really need someone.
0: And don't sign anything unless you've had a lawyer look at it, right? Like if they slide you a letter and say, hey, you can have two Mm -hmm. weeks off and we're going to give you a five grand bonus and here's something, sign it. That's usually, they've they've done something (laughs) wrong, speak to somebody.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that can happen, especially with the self-insurers. They have a little more leeway in the state. Mm -hmm. They still have to abide by the same laws as the state. They just... The way I put it is, the state's going to look at your case and say, "Are we? Do we have to cover this person for time loss for medical?" The self-insured, in general, um, oftentimes looks and says, "You know, what can we do to not cover this injured worker?" Mm-hmm. And obviously, I'm speaking with a broad brush here. They're not all like that. Um, I'm sure there are plenty that really do care about injured workers, but my world is made up of the ones that don't. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I admittedly probably get a bit of a bleak view at times on uh, how we treat uh, people who work for us.
0: So obviously you deal with like OSHA regulations and stuff quite often and maybe not the regulations and but more so the application of them, right? So doing what my company does in the payroll space, like we have to provide posters and things mm-hmm. in certain places. How liable is an employer when they stick a poster up but they don't necessarily police that people are following the rules so you're supposed to wear safety glasses but we're not going to force your or hard right. hats and things like that do you come across that and who's liable no. there
1: and the reason is and that's actually you know in law um the most famous answer is it depends and in this case i can actually probably give you a pretty clear answer because we're a no-fault system and what does that mean no-fault right. system good so if If you have a normal personal injury case, it's usually, you know, you need to find some sort of negligence. There's a duty owed to someone, that duty's been breached, Um, there's causation and damages. So um, in our system, we don't need to find a breach of duty. So for example, in in your scenario you laid out, you said that an employer puts up a poster, wear your safety goggles, the employee looks straight at it and walks off without their safety goggles on. Is the employer liable? That word liable is difficult because it's not so much the employer themselves that we're talking about here. If you get an employment law, that's a whole other area. But let's say that that employee doesn't wear goggles and some sort of chemical sprays in his or her eye. We don't even talk about whether the employer did their job or not. All we care about is was the worker basically working at the time, was he on the job, and... uh, is this new medical condition caused by that injury? And they're usually split up into two categories of, of an actual, you know, industrial accident, which is what we typically think of as you know a sudden and traumatic happening, like mm-hmm. falling down stairs or slipping on ice or boxes falling on your head. And then there's the occupational illness side of it, which is a lot more complex uh, as far as proving goes. For example.
0: And that's usually more long-term, right, if it's an occupational illness? You
1: know, it's hard to say because someone who has a sudden traumatic happening and they hurt their back, you know, Mm. backs don't get better. Um, But, for example, let's say somebody restrings um, bows, like archery bows, and they've done that for 30 years. Now, all of a sudden, they get carpal tunnel. The employer might say, well, that's not work-related. And you and I know, and anyone who you know common sense would say that's a very strenuous activity to do with all your tendons in your hand. But the employer will say, "Well, you know, do you ever use your computer at home? Do you type often? Not oh. for thirty years? Right. But <laughs> the point is we can't say whether or not that's caused by you know a workplace uh, by by your work in essence. So then you got to go get doctors who will all say, "Well, of course, you wrote you know restring bows for thirty years." on a more problem than that basis, this is what has mm-hmm. caused your condition, so. I
0: feel like you have experience of that exact thing happening, but we don't, I know that you can't talk about actual people.
1: Uh, I can't <laughs> talk about people, but I can talk about, uh, you know. Um, Cases. Yeah, in any sort of sense, it wouldn't mm-hmm. be uh, give away any parties.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, there's always trends, there's always... An outlook mm-hmm. in certain vocations. What trends are you seeing in yours right now? So your specific part of law workers comp. Mm-hmm. What trends do you see out with just self insurance and things like that?
1: You can go a lot of lo- different levels with that. Certainly, you know, everything's stacked against the worker, even the, you know, lobbying and the self insureds are always pushing legislators to give the self insureds more power. Um, you know, for example, uh used to be you could get as many, we call them IMEs, but independent medical examinations, they would, I have one client that had 15 IMEs until they got what they wanted.
0: What's an IME?
1: That's the independent medical examination. Okay. And, um, you know, so they're in essence shopping for opinions. Well now, as of, I think it was January, um, you in essence get one shot at it and you get you know a doctor to come out and say what they think, who's not involved in the case. They're not always so independent, but at least the thought is there. So I think the trends are, they're trying to be more workers friendly, the money's stacked against it, and uh, the one nice thing is is different um, industries are uh, starting to, I wouldn't say the industries, but for example, law enforcement. You know, um, these industries that are wrought with PTSD, you know, these people will work for 20, 30 years, see all sorts of, uh, pretty traumatic things, putting it lightly. Uh, some of the stories they tell, I, you know, I don't know how they get up in the morning and uh, there's just been a big um, stigma against talking about it or getting any help. And uh, certainly it doesn't make them better at their job to hold it in and it doesn't uh, help their families and they've given a lot up. So um, I am seeing more officers start being open about seeking help for those sorts of things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. the. I was obviously going to introduce you to a police officer, and as I was driving to work this morning, I always go up the hill to get a coffee, and the Chevron on the corner of 3rd and Monroe, there was a an incident, shall we say, suicidal guy outside yelling and screaming, and just as I passed, I saw Sean, who's been on the podcast as well, pull up, and he's the he's the lieutenant, it's like, oh, Sean's there, something's going down, so I was <laughs> texting with him about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: they uh, you know, and that's probably a tame one for them. Yeah, I'm this 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 see
0: all kind of traumatic experiences. It's oh yeah.
1: You know, I'm not saying that that's not a, a a dangerous situation, but as far as, you know, some of the things officers see involving children and even, you know, officer involved shootings with their partners and things, I mean, it it gets hairy out there, mm-hmm. you know common sense stuff but yeah
0: it's amazing i think and i'm going to go off on a segue here a little bit but i think that's what upsets me the most about the stuff i'm seeing in the media just now about defunding the police and you know i think i agree with the message of what they they want to happen like yeah we want mental health counselors yeah we want additional resources available to law enforcement but it doesn't mean that you defund the police it means that you upfund it or you know Yeah, send these people, but let's focus on that as opposed to taking away. We don't, you know, this isn't an addition by subtraction situation here. And all we're going to do, I think, in the long run is create more PTSD and more situations where our police force, um, all law enforcement, whether it's state patrol or whatever, aren't able to do their job objectively because they're going from one high stress situation to the next in these high stress situations we don't have experience of it, but yet we want to have an opinion on it.
1: Right. That's that's true. I you know, and I think you acknowledged in, in what you just said that there there does seem to be an issue with law enforcement. The question is how do we handle that issue? You know, do we increase funding, decrease funding? I, I don't personally have the answer to that. I'm not sure. my thought from a workers comp side is I want to take care of all the cops that do the job the way they're supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing the job you're supposed to, um, then there's repercussions. Now, I understand that job comes with a lot more tension and, you know, what is right in the moment is hard for them to do. Um, so I <laughs> I'm certainly not well equipped to make any judgment calls, um, but, you know, provided you do your job well, I think we should take care of you mm-hmm.
0: and I'm glad I'm glad to hear and I knew already that you're working with some police officers and some former officers to to get what they need so to speak Yeah. to, spe- to help spe- them live a good life from here on out um, so yeah it's sorry that was that was my little PSA if you like I got on the soapbox for a minute but it's the same with um I'm gonna say something that's controversial it's the same with black lives matter it's like, of course they do, but do they matter more than others at any point? Yeah, that's
1: f- that's that's one that uh, you know that's so so charged that uh, that campaign. I, I certainly will admit I'm I'm a Black Lives Matter supporter. Um, do I think that perhaps their slogan might have been a little clearer? Uh, perhaps, but Mm -hmm. I think that the message, you know, I I think a lot of people misconstrue what they're trying to say. I think and, you know, I'm just (laughs) a white guy that's doing his best, but um, the message is that, you know, for a long time we've treated them like they don't matter. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if, you know, uh, a bunch of houses, you know, if if there's one house on fire, you don't yell houses are on fire. All houses are on fire. You go, this house is on fire. This house matters. Mm -hmm. So I think that was their overall thrust of, you know, they matter, stop treating them like they don't. Yeah. Um, again, I'm certainly not uh, <laughs> an expert on this topic, and I do the best I can to learn, um, but I think when you do speak to the general public, clarity is important, and perhaps they may have lost a few uh, uh, sympathetic ears because it came across in the wrong light.
0: And that was the correlation I was making. Whether it's defund the police or Black Lives Matter, it's like, look,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we should be experts with English at this point. It's been around for a long time. Black lives also matter. Black lives matter too. Right. Words matter. (laughs) De-escalates any hatred you're going to get, Uh right? Same with defund the police. How about um, police reform or reform the police? Something like that that's a little less attack and more, look, we're looking for positive change, not negative change. Meet people in a place where they can actually read your slogan and go, okay, I want to learn more about that, as opposed to instantly put up a wall, like, no, I still want police to come if I call them at 2am, you know, and I, I obviously, and I'm saying I, we obviously care if people are dying in a horrible way, whether they're white or black, right, but by just saying black lives matter, and then, I don't know if you've read their manifesto, I'm with you, I agree that, of course they matter, but the slogan became so inflammatory, and there's ways to de-escalate yeah, yeah, before some, it escalates. And
1: there's some positive movements on the, you know, policing side too. Uh, mental health for a long time was, was severely misunderstood by police officers. I mm-hmm. mean, you remember that famous case here in Spokane, the Otto Zim case. I think yeah, Pauline Beggs was the attorney on that, and he did some wonderful work in, in not only uh, writing a, a, a terrible wrong, but also inspiring a lot of education for police officers that, you know, someone who is who's acting, quote-unquote, shady, uh, there might be more going on than just someone who is you know up to no good. They might have some mental health conditions which they don't act like you know, the rest of the population that the officers are mm-hmm. used to. And I, I think that there's been some genuine uh, or general good movements towards reeducation. Of course, like everything is a long way to go. Um, and there's cases that still pop up frequently about officers misunderstanding someone who has a mental, you know, uh, issue, whatever that might be. Um, and, you know, not acting appropriately, but I, I would hope on that touchy BLM subject that, um, the very least we can get some education for officers and for, for anyone who needs it on, on what this movement is, what they're looking for and, you know, try to avoid some of the wrongs, which are categorically, uh, troubling, Mm -hmm. you know.
0: So, you're obviously well travelled. Your fiance is from a different country. You've I know you just got back from was it Sweden? Yep. Yeah. So yeah. you've obviously seen different countries around the world and know that policing here is very different from other other countries, right? I grew up in a country where police didn't have guns. The first time I saw a gun was when I visited New York. Um, I got off the airplane and those guys stood in the airport with with guns and it. What the? Mm-hmm. Never shot one. Never seen one in real life. Um, only ever saw them in movies. I've since obviously moved here. Um, I'm pro 2A, like I do believe in citizens having firearms and such. Um, But I think this is another another case, and I talk about this often privately, I don't know how much I've said it on the podcast, (laughs) of American ignorance. Mm. There's so many American people that... Don't understand how the rest of the world is, and don't understand the scrutiny from outside. Right. But by the same token, the people outside don't understand how different it is here, and how enshrined it is, and why, for all intents and purposes, you're not going to take guns away because the constitution protects it. Right.
1: Right, and it's it's complicated. I I, I agree. I'm with you. I think it's definitely you know our right um to to bear arms arms, you know um what bothers me and I think what gets the outside scrutiny is you know those arms are in essence a tool or I'm from Montana so I grew up (laughs) around lots of guns and a lot of responsible gun owners um Mm -hmm. you know I didn't have to deal with uh, gang violence or anything in which guns were used improperly um they were viewed as a hunting tool or you know of course there were gun enthusiasts it was more than just hunting but what I don't like seeing with gun owners is that as an identity. Yes. You know, where they feel the need to walk around with a rifle strapped to their back or, you know, sidearms at their child's daycare. I don't understand that. Yes, you're right to carry, that's fine. But, you know, be uh, an upstanding, a concerned citizen first and a gun owner second, um, you know. I, I, I'm afraid that there's a certain population of America that, like all small populations, make the news, you know, the extreme um, the extreme sides. And what we see is not what, at least I experienced growing up in Montana, where guns were an everyday part of life, but you never really saw them. It might be in the back of a pickup truck.
0: Well, people that actually know about guns talk about open carry people, and it's like they're morons because they've lost their advantage. The idea yeah. of carrying a gun is... If right. someone is going to attack you, they're not supposed to know that you're strapped because mm. you're going to be their first target if they're robbing somewhere or attacking or whatever. So if they can yeah. see your gun, you're the first target, right? If they can't see your gun, you're not the first target. And that that's something I learned from a guy called Tim Kennedy. Mm. Um, heard him on multiple podcasts. I really like the guy. Um, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like, be inconspicuous. To your point, it's a secondary thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing is...
1: And to be clear, I'm not even a gun owner, which is, you know, it's almost embarrassing to say in public as a Montanan. (laughs) um, But uh, you know, I I just because I don't, you know, personally participate doesn't mean that I can't acknowledge Mm -hmm. the good reasons why others might.
0: The other thing I would say is there's this um, connotation that everybody that's pro-2A supports the NRA, and Mm. I'm like, no, those are a bunch of crackpots. (laughs) Like those people don't have common sense, and there's a reason they're running out of money, Mm. right? So. The NRA and believing in the constitutional right to bear arms do not go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've upset a lot of people who I, I think I'm close with by talking about the NRA negatively because mm-hmm. they're, they lobby for, for absolute anarchy when it comes to again, gun right? yeah. it's my it's, team versus your team and NRA it.
1: is one of the big teams Yep. Uh, it's a shame, it's um, not what it was ever meant to be
0: and most responsible gun owners don't carry an NRA membership and don't care what the NRA says now granted the NRA does some, some lobbying and some legislative work which does trickle down and is helpful to people that believe in the second amendment um, but what they don't do is um, advocate or lobby for common sense I don't think anybody in the right mind could truly argue that um, it, we have a perfect system now. The fact that background checks and secondary markets and stuff exist, like, that's not gun control. That's common sense. Like, guns are out there. You're not going to take them away. Yeah. But by adding additional checks and balances and saying, hey, here are the measures, the same way you have to meet certain criteria to have a driver's license, whether it's enshrined in the Constitution or not, you know. It could be argued that driving a car is part of the pursuit of happiness, right? Life, liberty, and happiness, or whatever the, it says. Well, the thing about the Second Amendment is if everybody can own a gun, we put guns in a lot of silly people's hands. So we already remove it from criminals. Mentally, mentally challenged people, we should probably have something in place to check that. When someone wants to buy a gun, you can have this, but there's a holding period. I have no problem with that. But what I do have a problem with is people going out and advocating that there shouldn't be a holding period and everybody should have it and so on and so forth. Well,
1: you know what? It it seems like, this is all, again, just my perspective, but it doesn't come up as often as it ought to, but this is a big country. It's Mm -hmm. huge. New York versus Montana is like different worlds, right? I mean, you can't get any more different. So what works from what I've seen won't work in New York City. And what works in you know, whatever. M- Milwaukee doesn't work in L.A. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know what that is. Unfor- well, fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> this big country has a, you know, as far as federally is concerned, constitutionally sort of governs everyone equally. Every, uh, not just people, but but areas too, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't have the answer. It's it's so hard to, dra- to draft a policy mm-hmm. which will, you know, make everyone happy in any sense, but especially when you live in a country as diverse as this. Yeah. You know, inner city Detroit is very different than, than than Venice Beach.
0: Well, that's why, I mean, the original intent is let's have 50 different experiments, right? 50 little little <laughs> experiments in, right. in local government. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, living in Montana, sometimes your closest neighbor is a 20-minute drive away.
1: True. Yeah. If there's no snow. And there's bears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I want a
0: gun. I want a rifle by the door, you know? Yeah so
1: <laughs> no definitely again and, and that would once again be seen as more of a tool Yeah. and uh, you know what is your profession are you a, a kindergarten teacher do you need that tool and, well shoot any more and Who do you need it I during the day need to, yeah right <laughs> I, it's a sad world we live in in that sense but um,
0: well Jim Jeffries does a bit do you know Jim Jeffries the Australian comedian
1: the name is really familiar
0: he does a whole bit on gun control but one of the things he says is, he's like so you want to p- give guns to teachers, well-trained teachers. He's like, I remember what I was like as a child. He's like, we used to try and make the teacher cry and you want her to have a gun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, talk about job descriptions at this point, right? Okay, yeah. yeah.
0: So, no, and uh, uh, Brian, who I introduced you to at the gym, so he's yeah. a, he's a, I, I say he's a resource officer. He's not, he's a he's security at Reardon School District. Oh, okay. Um, and he had to advocate, even in a rural area, for him to be able to carry on on the school premises. And he showed him, like, look, this one's going to be locked there. The right. AR-15 will be locked up. Only I have access. Uh, I'm military trained. I'm all right. the rest of it. I'm certified. I'll do whatever you want me to to be certified. I will carry my pistol at all times because I'm security. And if there's an active shooter situation, I can't be running in my office first.
1: I would imagine that argument for basically a school officer, a police officer, uh, to be armed, that argument is going to be easier and easier to make, unfortunately, as we have more and more problems arise. Yeah. And I don't know that it's getting any better. (laughs) I've Mm -hmm. seen no indication of that. So, you know, how do we meet that threat? Once again, you know, I certainly don't claim to have any expertise in that.
0: Well, this horrific incident that's just happened in Michigan, I mean, it's right. looking more and more like those parents are culpable beyond. And that is uh, yeah.
1: not precedented, really, going after the parents to this degree. Yeah. Um, I Have
0: you read up on any of it? Have you, a bit. I mean, it's horrific.
1: So I'm always, and this is the lawyer part of me, I'm always really hesitant to get involved in news stories for mm-hmm. people accused of heinous crimes. I mean, there's nothing more heinous than than a school shooting, or at least, you know, it's in with a yeah. group of other crimes that are, you know, beyond despicable. And we all want to grab our torches and pitchforks and go after those responsible. Now, in this case, it's pretty clear who is, but oftentimes in lots of different areas, I'm really hesitant. Until we have a conviction, I really do believe in an incident until proven guilty. Me too. And I don't care how, how guilty they look. As soon as they're convicted, I'll be right next to you grabbing my torch and pitchfork.
0: Notice I said it's looking more and more like oh, they're yeah. highly culpable.
1: And, you know, my little rant there was more, uh, I guess, for, <laughs> the general way that we're, we're reporting news now mm-hmm. is, is, you know, they'll throw in the word accused almost under their breath and then go into the, the, the terrible nature of the crime in which it leads the general viewer to yeah. immediately attribute that crime with the accused party. Again, in certain school shooting scenarios, it's pretty clear. You know who's done it we still have to go through the process but in so many other areas it's not
0: well there's there's video of this and I don't recommend watching it I mean yeah
1: right and you know it's just how many news stories come out where we're releasing uh, innocent parties I mean it happens all the time yeah just last week I was reading about a a gentleman who was released on some some murder charges when he was a teen and Mm -hmm. you know You'll never find a perfect system, but I'm terrified of locking up in a, an innocent party. Yeah. We, we should hold ourselves to a pretty high standard.
0: Well, I'm a, big, I'm a big believer. I've listened to a lot of stuff with the Justice Project, right? Oh, There's a lot of people yeah. locked up for... I don't like this term, but they call it victimless crime. So whether it's possession of mm-hmm. marijuana or whatever, right? Um, but I'm also a big believer that we need bail reform in a different kind of way. So what... Like, for instance, AOC is advocating for his lunacy. It's like, sh- no, we don't just release everybody out to the wild again. Like, bail exists for a reason, and it's not it's not the way it's portrayed, at least in my opinion sometimes, to where this is a privilege of the rich and the white and so on and so forth. It's You're essentially going, look, you've done this. Someone has to put their name on the line for you. It's basically a vouching system, right? Like, some, you're not able to do it. You're locked up. Some people can, I guess, make arrangements, but... No, you're talking about bail. Bail, yeah. So we definitely need bail reform in some way because someone shouldn't get arrested on a Friday and spend the weekend in jail because they can't afford to pay $500 to go home for something silly. Right, and, right? and
1: that's, that's uh, again, that's just the root of the problem of, you know, how many... How many occasions or cases are handled correctly and there isn't mm-hmm. an incident we don't hear about those right so we could have 30,000 arrests uh in you know on a weekend mm-hmm. and not for Spokane but just in general <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a group and you know they're given bail on a Friday so they go home I, whatever the the uh, situation is how many of those people jump bail how many of those people recommit crimes in that time
0: mm-hmm.
1: I actually don't know but I do know that the way the news works is that's the those are the only ones you hear about. It's the same thing with verdicts. I mean, all the time you you know, uh, both uh, at a you know national level, you hear these kind of crazy um, uh, verdicts. For example, I think I might have spoken with you briefly at the gym about the coffee, the McDonald's coffee case. Mm-hmm. Remember the woman who spilled? I mean, that is a horrific case when you get into it. The real yeah. facts of that case are. I'll keep it brief because you know I'm, I'm getting my own soapbox here, but. Um, this the elderly lady had spilled coffee in her lap. When she pulled away, the coffee was literally boiling still in the cup. And it gave her third-degree burns down in her private areas. She mm-hmm. had to have skin grafts from her legs. And we're talking serious reconstruction. Now, if that had been a one-off thing, sure, maybe that might not be compensable or, or at least compelling for, um, for the courts. But when they looked into it, McDonald's had had story after story after story of this happening and had done nothing about it. I mean, it was lists of people burning themselves severely. And um, all she wanted was her medical bills to be paid, nothing more, she didn't mm-hmm. want to be rich. And uh, the judge, I mean, this gets complicated, but we'll keep the first part of the story, is the judge only fined McDonald's one day of coffee sales. If you're dealing with a massive multinational corporation, you can't find them $100,000. It means nothing to them. They won't, it won't even be a blip on their radar. They lose one day of coffee sales, that's still not gonna hurt the company, but at least it's a registers to Ooh, we need to change our behavior. Mm-hmm. Now the judge uh I'd actually I don't recall how, but it was basically it was um reduced significantly in the end. The woman ended up being you know, she died with skin grafts, she was uh ridiculed nonstop, she was getting hate mail, this mm-hmm. poor little old lady. It's a nasty story, but again it's the way the news portrays it. Well,
0: it's interesting because I've seen the other side of that and how it's portrayed like well, there was no warning on the cup first and foremost right it didn't say caution hot anything like that that's why every coffee cup you get from now says caution hot on it right but the way it was portrayed was what kind of idiot orders coffee and doesn't expect it to be hot right and it's like well obviously nobody orders coffee and doesn't expect mm-hmm. it to be hot but they also don't expect it to cause that kind of damage right. to them what is hot yeah, you know, hot could be yeah. That's a, that's a hot. hazard. Yeah, or right? it could be
1: bubbling in the cup for mm-hmm. someone going down the road in a moving vehicle. It's yeah.
0: And I worked in yeah. McDonald's by the way. I Did worked in McDonald's from when I was sixteen till when I was eighteen. It was one of the first jobs I had. Real jobs. I've always worked, but um, I don't know I, what you have got now. I talked but, uh, about this a few weeks ago, um, but yeah, I uh, when I worked at McDonald's, it always baffled me. Like we made tea and coffee, yeah, and the water that came out of that urn was. I mean, in that you poly- call it styrofoam, we call it polystyrene. Mm. Um, I mean, I could barely hold it as mm-hmm. I'm filling it up, mm-hmm. and it was it was crazy.
1: Yeah, and I certainly wouldn't say that we don't have some real lunacy going on with you know liability mm-hmm. stuff and, and our signs that warn people of real obvious hazards. Um, mm-hmm. That's meant to you know cover yourself in case something happens, but I guess just a general point of of. A good story overcoming bad facts, um, or rather, you know, uh, facts sympathetic to one party, mm-hmm. they'll easily be run over the top of if it makes a, a good news story. Yeah, it's not news here. <laughs> All right, let's let's go back sure. to
0: some because uh, I mean that was a tangent. I mean we talked yeah, about we gun did. control and McDonald's and a I've whole bunch a of shit those in come between. Up with you. Yeah, you thought McDonald's would come up or not gun McDonald's, control? Not McDonald's, <laughs> not that one. No, <laughs> few of the others. Yeah, no, I mean. I think it's int- I talk to a lot of lawyers, I talk to a lot of law enforcement. Yeah. Um, and I'm always intrigued to get people that understand the mechanisms of law. Because mm-hmm. I think I understand it pretty well. And I think I've shared with you that I've got a bet with some of my friends that I can pass the bar exam in a state without actually going to law school. I would just have to apply myself, I think. Yeah. Um, you're not allowed to practice law, but I just want to do it just for shits and giggles. Um, and I think I think like a lawyer quite often, where I'm like, okay, I see what you're trying to do. I see your intent, but I also see the second and third order effects and why Mm -hmm. you might be putting yourself in a bad place or putting me in a bad place. So, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I do this from time to time. I lose my tangent. I'll find my way back to it at some point. Um, What advice would you give to people that might feel like they've been hurt at work and haven't done anything about it, or maybe they've got a chronic injury or a repetitive injury, RSI, or something like that, um, that they think is work-related but they've never really explored it.
1: Right. Um, Yeah, It it really is a lot of times case by case, but just general guidelines, I would say talk to your doctor. I know that's obvious, Mm -hmm. but um, if you've had an accident at work and those are usually, these are the easy ones, right? Something happens it's out of the ordinary. Um, something falls on you, you know, you get bumped in the head, something slams your toe, whatever. Go get it looked at. Um, make sure that you're okay because you have one year from the date of that accident, oh well, and actually, to be, first, to be honest, first you should let your supervisor know because mm-hmm. oftentimes places are required to fill out an accident report. And that kind of preserves that it indeed happened. Um, So, you know, make sure that an accident report was filed. Talk to your doctor. See if you actually do have any accident. I'm not one for going to lawyers right away or going and trying to drain the system. (coughs) i booted plenty of of clients out of our office who I felt weren't really genuine. Literally or
0: figuratively? (laughs) Figuratively. (laughs) Uh, We don't need me to cause my workplace an accident.
1: but, you know, I, I really, uh, I'm, I, I'm passionate about what I do. I like helping the little guy, especially when I actually feel like they need help. And it's mm-hmm. pretty clear. I mean, we're dealing with doctors here. I'm not here diagnosing them. Their doctor who is trained goes, yeah, you know, he's got this problem and he did this at work. They're likely related. And uh, if I get that, then I'm, I'm ready to help. I, I also kind of went away from your question, something in general that I, you would tell people. But it's, it's kind of hard.
0: Um, well, I'm glad that your first thing wasn't call me, call, call a law firm, call a lawyer. It's like, no, it's like speak not. to your supervisor, speak to your doctor.
1: Yeah, preserve it and talk to your doctor. See if you actually have a long standing issue. I mean, if you have a bumper bruise, this isn't worth it. Um, but, you know, if you've cracked a bone or, you know, you got some other, you know, you pull something, it might be worth at least filing a, a claim uh, if your doctor thinks so. And they're going to be good about that. Nobody likes working with the L.I. system. If a doctor tells you that you ought to file a claim, you probably should because they're not going to be thrilled about it either. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's tough.
0: All right, let's go back to something controversial. Oh, good. COVID liabilities. <laughs> Do yeah. you think it's feasible that somewhere down the line, um, people that got COVID and might have lasting effects, or got COVID and went through a mm-hmm. traumatic ordeal? Due to workplaces not enforcing rules, um, masks and distancing and so on and so forth. Do testing even, do you see a lot of cases like that coming in the future?
1: So it's a guess. I think there'll be, there's a difference between people trying to bring a case and people bringing a successful case. I mean, in any lawsuit, you need to prove damages, right? You need to prove that this happened at this place, and mm-hmm. because of the, you know, the inherent nature of a disease, it's really hard to prove that you picked it up here. Or you can't
0: right. find the genesis.
1: Yeah, it's, even if you find, you know, hey, there were three people around me that that uh, that were tested, you know, positive for COVID. Well, there could have been ten around you at the grocery store. You know, you mm-hmm. don't you don't know. So, as I'm not probably the guy for this question in general. I don't bring a lot of these kind of lawsuits, but I would be real nervous about proving where my client uh, was contracted COVID.
0: All right, I'm gonna ask a question which affects me. I'm not gonna pursue this in any way, shape or form. Hmm. But on the flip side, do you think there's any government liability? So think back to shutdowns and lockdowns and so on and so forth. Obviously, some income was replaced with, um, let's call it, the bailout stimulus um, money. Stimulus money, yeah. Right. What if you? So it was all based on the years before earnings. So if you've earned over a certain amount, you weren't going to get any stimulus money, right?
1: Yeah, it was like a flat amount, I think. Like, so you either got it, it went or from seventy
0: five to hundred. Right. If you were over a hundred thousand, nothing.
1: Right. And if you had kids and all mm-hmm. that
0: jazz. Yeah. So, case in point, single guy. Mm-hmm earned the prerequisite amount to not get a stimulus check the year before, mm-hmm. but also saw a third of his income wiped out mm-hmm. due to it being a residual income. Right. And again, I'm not going to pursue this. I'm just giving you my mm-hmm. scenario. Could someone in my scenario sue the government for loss of earnings or bring a case against the government, state, right. or whatever for loss of earnings?
1: I'm going to stay purposefully broad on this. But in general did the government cause you any damages? In other words,
0: they locked down a right. third of my customers. Right. <laughs>
1: like they did everybody. Um, so, you know, I guess not getting money that you felt you were entitled to, um, it's a little bit different than the government coming in and taking something from you. For example, if they took your, if they incarcerated you wrongly or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, they took something that uh, that you would have had versus not giving you something, Um, there's a distinction I honestly really am not an authority figure on that I don't know it's anybody's guess I think it's going to be hard I think it's going to be really hard I know of other attorneys right now fighting vaccination requirements and they have met with little to no luck and the only reason they've been able to even fight them is because they've had um,
0: it depends on the state though right because I've seen success in other states Yeah, everything is
1: is jurisdictionally based so Mm -hmm. you're right I I don't know what Idaho's doing although you can kind of guess um, but, uh, you know, this is a very bright attorney who's been funded by non, uh, not nonprofits, but outside interests, trying to help people who don't want to be vaccinated. And so he's had sort of all of the, uh, support he can have. I think a lot of him, and, uh, he can't get anywhere. He's been shut down, uh, pretty quick. So if there's going to be serious movement, I think it's, it's going to be down the road. Yeah.
0: Me too, and I was using my situation just because when I explain it to people, there's a few things. First, it's like wait, you earn that much, um, <laughs> but it a was, long way since McDonald's. It really, yeah. it really wasn't to me. That's not earning a lot. It is in Spokane, but um, but also just when you explain situationally to people that look x amount of thousand dollars a month doesn't help, and a twelve hundred dollar stimulus check wouldn't have helped. I mean, it wasn't going to replace what I lost in 2020.
1: Right. So I guess that argument, if you're going to saddle the company, the company, the country, uh, the state (laughs) sure, (laughs) with, you know, uh, increase in in debt to help people, you need to help those who have the most need. I can understand your perspective, but if you're trying to just stop the bleeding, I guess you could make an argument for it. Mm -hmm. Really. You know, this really, I think caught everyone by surprise. People are trying to help. I think, like most things, the government does uh, at best an okay job of it. Um, I said at best. I sk- <laughs> no one else can see the look you gave me, but uh, you know, I try to be diplomatic here. Um,
0: government fuck everything up. Well, that's my they, uh, take on it.
1: You know, my, most of my time is spent uh, trying to get my claimants uh, the help that they're uh, they deserve from the government has been promised. So I can agree that certainly, at least on that end.
0: You're uh, you're gonna make a good politician, local politician. <laughs> Lo- local. I told I told you this yeah, was a it Friday true. night. I could see you being a mayor or something, but I don't think you would have aspirations beyond that. I you think know, you would I want to I, improve I, the community you live in and then live by the laws you make, kind of thing. Yeah, the way it's supposed to be.
1: I well, I agree with you. I think it's hard because politically, I mean, I'm not really giving anything away to anybody who knows me, but I do really sit pretty much in the middle. I, I really don't think conservatives would wanna own me as one of their friends and, and certainly... Nor me. You know, <laughs> oh, oh, I thought you meant you wouldn't want to claim me as a friend. No, um, they wouldn't but, want me uh, either. Yeah, and liberals certainly would have problems with some of my views too. So I, I'm i really nothing special, but I do value that kind of trying to assess every circumstance or, or um, new policy as, as openly as you can. Who is it trying to benefit you know, everything comes with a detriment. Is the detriment worth the benefit? And uh, sometimes I happen to side with conservatives, and, and oftentimes I, I side with, you know, more liberal folks. So it's really tough. And I don't think, I guess to get back to your point, that kind of mentality is popular in in, in mainstream politics. I really think it's team it's a team sport, you know? Yeah,
0: Tulsi Gabbard got kicked out for having that kind of attitude. Right, so um, at this stage of
1: <laughs> my life, at least, who knows? Uh, my views might solidify more as I as I get older and more cynical, but um, at this stage, I, I, I don't know that anyone would really be excited to have me represent them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You might be surprised. Eh. Um, you're talking from a... Jesus, what did you do?
1: Well, your chair just broke.
0: You broke it? Or you were leaning back?
1: I was leaning back. I guess, uh, you know, f- I see you at the gym every day. Maybe I should see you at the gym once a day and go once by myself, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I think it was uh, the little thing was only half in. No, my That's feet. what she said. Um, the, the little deal that makes it go up and down and back yeah. and forward. Well, it so survived. I got a fright there. I'm glad, no, I'm glad yeah, you're, you're not. Yeah, you
1: don't want an attorney hurt themselves, right? That's Yeah, especially not at my
0: place of work. Although, <laughs> this is a sh- co-, co sh, a, a sh- Co-office, co-working space. Right. Um <laughs> All right, so let's stick with uh, COVID and yeah. ma- mandates and all that. So, obviously, I don't know if you saw um, New York today, the mayor, de I Blasio, did. Did. has basically said that all employers have to mandate the vaccine now. Right. Which, for me, seems like not just an overreach, but flat-out lunacy based on, one to do it. Yeah, based on Omicron, right? right? Um, so... Talk to me about vaccine mandates, not necessarily your personal opinion, but from a legal standpoint, from a constitutional standpoint, where do you see that playing out? Because obviously there's, all, there's federal courts right now slapping it down and sending it upstairs, right? Mm-hmm.
1: I And, you know, I, ugh, I'm going to disappoint a lot of my legal friends, but um, I'm not overly well equipped in this one sense, just in that, you know, I think it's natural when you, you start a business and get involved, your worldview sort of shrinks too. I am always reading the news, mm-hmm. um, but what I pay in-depth attention to, um, I work late most days, and so uh, I'm probably not as educated as I ought to be on on uh, the specifics of you know what this means. Obviously, I know you can't help but know some, and I have my own opinions as an attorney and just general policy and what the government's done. I mean, it has been a longstanding um, precedent for you know requiring vaccines in the military, and so you know jumping to the federal government mandating it for all federal workers. Uh, that doesn't mean that to all that,
0: civilians in New York. Now, well, so
1: I know, so I'm, I'm getting there. Um, but you know, I guess that that jump to all federal employees, one could make an argument whether or not it's it's you could buy it or not is is a, is a separate issue. Now we're going into the private sphere, and and I guess we had kind of before when Biden. Had mentioned that uh, you know companies of a certain size are required to <clears throat> ensure that vaccinations are uh, well, not only dispersed but are required by you know those companies for their employees. I, I think we're in some serious uncharted territory, and to get into a, a real in-depth discussion, I would I would want to prepare. A lot more, you know. If, I, if, I, if my word as a lawyer is being held, um, I think right now I have more of a layperson's concerns mm-hmm. and understandings for this. Yeah. So to punt a little bit on this one, um, I just need to know more. And we are in an area where I don't know.
0: Yeah. So let me. Uh, unfortunately, this is where my affliction in life is being a layman doesn't work for me. So when I don't know about something. I ask, mm. and I dig, mm. and I dig, and I dig. Teachers hated me because I would ask questions. They wouldn't answer them, and I'd tell them they didn't answer them. Um, Did they
1: hate you in addition to that?
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> um, case in point, priests and religious education teachers. I'm raised Catholic, went to Catholic school. Yep. Catholic school in the U.K. is state-run. It's not private really? like here, so okay. I went to a state-run Catholic school. Very poor people have not like the Catholic schools you think of here. Mm. And whenever I asked questions, I was shot down and um but it never I never had Google then, right? So I didn't have a device in my pocket where I could just okay, what's the mm. what can I read on this? So Google was an amazing invention for me. Like being able to essentially Google anything. Um obviously that's changed a little bit. Now I use more duck duck than Google because I want to find non curated um, results to some of the questions I, I, I asked Familiar with that. Um, DuckDuckGo a search engine that doesn't suppress or curate. Basically, if you want to find an article from NPR from 2005, you put in the title of the article and it will show up. You do the same thing in Google. It doesn't show up. Really? Oh. So yeah, I'm still a Googler. Your, your Google. It's not that you won't find. I mean, everyday everyday searches, you're going to find what you want. Yeah. How how far away am I from the coffee shop? Um, but no, DuckDuckGo is a non-curated search engine that actually will, like if you, f- for instance, search for adverse effects of a COVID vaccine, on Google, the whole front page is going to be CDC and FDA and all this stuff. On DuckDuckGo, it's going to be actual articles with from reputable sources showing you adverse effects from oh yeah, yeah, the vaccine. I
1: understand that, although I'm not ready to disregard the CDC um, personally, but, yeah, but and I, I get it. No,
0: I mean, they do good work as well. Um, where I stand on this, and again, so the reason I talked about my curse, yeah, that I need to be informed. I want more information than just, hey, it's safe and effective. Trust us, right? Um, I'm going to quote Ronald Reagan and this will trigger some people because some people love him, some people hate him. He said, trust but verify, mm-hmm. right? So in the verification process, um, this steel trap brain of mine has learned a lot. So the first one being that, um, vaccine makers are immune from any liability for adverse reactions or anything that happened long term, mid term, whatever. Right. So on this vaccine specific, all these COVID vaccines. Yeah. So, okay. um, producing companies, so Moderna and Johnson & Johnson have pre COVID, and you can check me on this. I'll even in the show notes of this episode, I will put a link to some articles. They've never brought a vaccine to market before COVID. All the producers have paid out tens of billions in damages for other products. All right, Viox, Bextra, um, Celebrex. Have you heard of thalidomide? That's. That sounds very. It familiar. was, uh, I believe, and I'm going from memory here. Thalidomide was a drug in the '60s that they introduced to be a contraceptive. And all the babies, it didn't work first and foremost. Right, right. And then all the babies were born without arms They're and legs that, and yeah. so on and so forth. So that's the thalidomide and opioids, right? They've paid out tens of billions of dollars in opioids yeah. because essentially, right? So we're being asked to trust these companies that have a checkered past. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have drugs that do good things as well. And I'm not saying that there aren't people within these companies that have pure intentions, but. There's a lot going on there, right?
1: Uh, well, I agreed and I think that your very first point, uh, trust but verify is difficult. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, that first of all, live and die by that. I completely agree. Yeah. But wh- what are you how how are you equipped to verify? And not you personally, but the general public, right? If I It's if not I, via I, Fox
0: News or CNN for sure. Well,
1: right. <laughs> and, and let's say so I'm going to, you know, I want to trust the bridge. I'm going to cross over, you know, mm-hmm. a big river. Uh But how do I verify that it was built correctly? Toss a big
0: rock. (laughs) Trust toss a big
1: rock. Right, (laughs) you know, I I can I can try my best to verify who built it, when it was built, but I don't know the standards and practices Mm -hmm. of this industry, so I can't really with my that's part of the
0: verification process let's learn previous standards of the industry agreed but which haven't a- been followed for
1: sure but you can acknowledge where that's really a big ask for a lot of of the general public agreed. You know, If you're meant to understand biochemistry and all of these things and verify as an expert because that's what we're talking about expert verification mm-hmm. really i mean i'm not equipped for that
0: so uh, what about the experts that do speak out and then they're shunned
1: well, I mean, I so I don't know if you're referring to to certain individuals exactly, uh, or if you have someone in mind, but I I wouldn't want Dr. to. Doctor
0: Brett Weinstein, evolutionary so, biologist. Sure. Or, or, yeah, evolutionary biologist.
1: So for me, uh, this is really what I do for work in in a in a smaller sense, but um, we get all sorts of medical opinions, you know, on our clients. Mm-hmm. We we have two or three treating doctors who say yes, he's hurt. Here's what he's hurt. You know, here's, here's his condition, and, and here's what it was caused by, or at least to the best of our, our knowledge. And then I get two other doctors from the employer who say, no, he's fine, he's ready to be an astronaut. You know, And so the question then becomes, who is a more compelling argument? Um, they're all worth listening to, but who are the interested parties? Um, what are they basing this off of? How mm-hmm. much time do they spend with, with the claimant? So I, the same thing goes for these experts that you're talking about. In my mind, I think they're all worth being listened to, but yeah. uh, I'm going to look towards, you know, if I have 10 experts saying one thing to me and two saying another, I'm probably going to go with the 10 because I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not am not an expert myself. That's yeah. my version of verification.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about my own personal journey here so yeah i don't expect people to take my advice i don't expect people to do what i'm doing should we do a disclaimer um that that is my disclaimer (laughs) i is
1: not a certified physician i have not
0: taken a vaccine i don't (laughs) intend to take a vaccine yeah um i've also had covid twice and recovered both times the second time i did the full ivermectin monoclonal antibodies and all the vitamins and bounced back in two days so i have faith in what i did worked and this is Joe Rogan talks about this. This is the first time in human history where if you injured your shoulder, let's say at the gym, and I had done the same thing a year earlier, and you called me and said, hey, what did you do when you did this? How did you get better? And I share that with you. That's what friends do, right? Like I did this, this, and this, and it really helped. And I spoke to this doctor. Well, now we do that. And someone says, hey, I took ivermectin, monoclonal antibodies, and a bunch of Vitamins and I got better. Now it's, well, you're taking horse deworm. And it's like, actually, no, it was a human medicine long before it was a horse medicine.
1: Right. That was pretty misunderstood. <laughs> um, but I do think that it's dangerous to take the narrative approach to. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, uh, don't get me wrong, you know, naturopathy has its place and all of that. But I, I have experienced uh, people who are taking it to cure cancer, you know, very serious diseases. And they're taking whatever herbs and, and, uh, Grasses, I don't know, uh, but they're doing it because they're friend. They say it Mm -hmm. helped them. Well, uh, that's scary. You know, I I, I really believe in peer reviewed medicine. um, Mm -hmm. And if if you want to go to a naturopath in in conjunction with a a general practitioner who's in school,
0: you just contradicted yourself. Oh, tell me. If you believe in peer reviewed medicine, Mm -hmm. nobody should be taking this vaccine because it can't be peer reviewed because there's no mid or long term data on it yet.
1: Well, no, it's not really a contradiction. <laughs> I mean, in emergency setting, I'm it's just, a different I'm standard, just right? Being contradict- no, I get it. Like, I get, I'm right. just
0: plain devil's advocate. Who doesn't
1: like a gotcha moment? But, but
0: speaking of that, there's data gaps as well. So, sure, um, the data gaps are that there's no data. Everything that was submitted to for the emergency use order, um, the EUO, I think they call it. Um, there was zero data on anyone under eighteen years of age, and zero data on anyone over fifty-five years of age. And it's like, okay, that's a lot of people you're leaving out.
1: I think we can, sim- in my mind, though. Yeah, I think this can be simplified for me at least, and this is sort of the piece I've come to. And I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think it, you're well aware. I'm, I'm vaccinated. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm a champion for it, but I, I've come to this place.
0: You trusted and didn't verify.
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I think our verification looks different. Yeah, your verification no, you're is right. going to um, different sources. Uh, I'm sure reputable. But let's call it uh, with professional uh, dissents on, mm-hmm. on other mainstream uh, sources. Anyway, you went to those and you found truth yourself through some of these other gaps and finding errors, kind of looking at the whistleblowers. And, and that might be, you know, who knows? Let's look 20 years down the road. You might be around, I might not be. Who knows? But <laughs> the point I'm getting <laughs> let's at... Let's hope we are both are. Well, let's hope we both are. But I'll is, just be better you
0: know, tan because I'm in Florida.
1: Uh, yeah, that's a whole other issue. We could go off air for that I <laughs> want to use some words I wouldn't use on here. Um, but, you know, I'm going to look at – let's let's take this whole situation as you've described it. And there's holes in data. There are, you know, uh, interested parties. There's liability issues that, you know, aren't being faced with drug manufacturers. All this mm-hmm. stuff. And, you know, because of Google or, in your case, GoDuckGo or whatever you use. Duck DuckDuckGo. Go? Go. Duck, um, you know, it's, it's all open for the world, and a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me and are, you know, working within their area of expertise. I have a close friend who's an epidemiologist and, you know, worked in bioterrorism. Uh, I have friends who are doctors. The people smarter than me in this area have, inc- have basically told me that the benefits outweigh the risks. Now, you can disagree with that all day long, and I, and I think, who knows, you might be right. But my verification is talking to people smarter, more educated in their field, and and seeing you know what they have to say, and looking at the overall numbers of you know treating doctors, what have they seen? Uh, research doctors, what have they seen? And it seems like, and I know I can see your face, it seems like there's a gr- uh, a greater number on one side than the other. I'm
0: about to blow your mind. Okay, please. I'm actually pro-vaccine, well, just just vaccine? not for me. Or
1: this vaccine.
0: This vaccine.
1: Well, is it the argument that I've heard that like, well, it makes things easier for me. Everyone else should get vaccinated, and then that that secures my no, position. And I'm I, I don't just have to go feel
0: like I'm not in a high risk category. I've well, had the true. thing twice, and I've beat it twice. Right. I am young, healthy, right, fit, and virile, and
1: but the the, the question is, can you transmit it? Right.
0: When has that ever been an issue? When so? Well, I think that is. I can issue. transmit a lot of things. I could be carrying chlamydia, herpes, all of that. Right, but Nobody's but no, no, nobody's nobody's coming to me and checking that. Also, how you I transmit those that things.
1: is is not as much of what I'm worried about. Yeah. How you transmit those other diseases? Yeah. That's those a were just, whole those were things. just the
0: first two that came to and mind. I can transmit the flu. It's not mandated that I have to be vaccinated for it. No, but that's different. Right? I can I can shit. I can pass meningitis. If I have it, viral meningitis, I can...
1: Sure, the, but, but yeah. that, the argument to say that we could do other things, so we shouldn't... There are other bad things I could give someone, so we shouldn't worry about this bad As thing. As a
0: Montanan, yeah. you think it's my responsibility to look after you more than it's your responsibility to look after you.
1: No, but that is something <laughs> out of your control in this case. So it's, it's, it's one thing... So my favorite quote is... God, you know, I can never remember who said this. It might have been like Jefferson or somebody like that, but the freedom to swing my fist ends where the bridge of your nose begins. <laughs> and, and I like that. And I like that in, in law. You know, I'm not one for government interference in my life. I like the fact. But, you know, as so, soon as, as my action impacts you, now there's an issue. So
0: I I will give you that if you want to look at it from a puritanical standpoint, that you might infect other people, right? So that opens up a whole subset of issues. And, and stay with me here. The first one being if the vaccine's effective, anybody that wants it or needs it has it at this point. So they're protected, right? Or I agree. the yeah. vaccine's bullshit and they're mm-hmm. not protected. Right. Those are th- That's the only two outcomes, right? Right. Second, if I wear a mask and you're vaccinated, first off, I should be protected because we're being told to wear masks. Second off, you're vaccinated. What the hell's a concern? Right. That's double protection as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um. So what you're saying from a puritan standpoint absolutely yeah i should i do care about other people but i care about myself more and that
1: well i think the question has changed now because now we're getting to whether or not i should impose it on you or mandate it. Exactly. the question originated with what are your thoughts about you know verify and check and how do you come to that thought for yourself i, I think and we i started think off point, on I, the mandate i've got i've got to give you a little credit where credit's due you know, now that the vaccine is widely available. There's a medical argument you could make that you know you could wipe the thing, kind of like um, polio or something like that. You know, these diseases that we really can pretty close to wipe out, provided everyone plays ball. I think there's an argument there, but at the not same with us. No, I th- exactly. This, this is an endemic would, now. Can we can we can we get rid of the flu? Mm-hmm. If no. everyone gets a flu shot, can you get rid of it? No, it morphs too quickly. And again, I'm, we're, I'm speaking about something I don't know. Plus, the of efficacy
0: of flu vaccines is like twenty-nine percent year on year. And again, year.
1: I don't even know, but I think the point's the same: is mm-hmm. that you know you, you're not going to get rid of it this way. And and I'm a lawyer speaking now on on medical uh, efficacy of, of vaccines, so I got to be real careful. <laughs> but um,
0: this does not constitute legal advice right, or health exactly advice
1: or any kind of advice, Stephen. Um, yeah. But I, I I can understand the perspective you're coming from on mandated vaccinations. I really mm-hmm. do. And and that's not really where I'm coming from on this on whether or not government should make you do something something with your body and you know i like trickle into other areas too um but which we don't need to go into
0: i was going to say we don't need to talk about that whole shit i am morning, not, not
1: involved in that at all but the point is is the the arguments sort of do flow from one another and it causes some really interesting conversations um but I, I i guess i i don't like the attitude of well i'm healthy so i why do i have to worry or why do i need to act a certain way to save others because I have older parents and I love them and I don't want them to be infected through no real fault of your own. Mm-hmm. The idea of, you know, why should I modify my behavior to satisfy you? I agree with that. But, but you know, the spread of disease is not really modifying behavior so much. You're just going through the store being a good guy and you could hurt someone, mm-hmm. not you, but yeah. the majority. Well,
0: there has been a suppression of breakthrough cases and under reporting of uh, adverse reactions and death after the vaccine. And I do think, the The way it's been reported and the way it's being represented, not just in media, but in terms of what people's understanding of the vaccine is and what it does, with no mid- to long-term data, I do think there's going to be stuff down the line. Regardless of whether it's something benign or something horrific, I think something could happen. And another thing on the trust but verify thing, I talked about um, data gaps. Yeah, right. With certain stuff. But the raw data hasn't been released. In fact, they're all fighting in court not to release the raw research data.
1: Wasn't there a Harvard study that came out not long ago? And it actually was a little more critical, I think, of the efficacy of some of the vaccinations. Well,
0: I'm not even talking about the efficacy of it. Oh. I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, this vaccine right. 100% works for what you say it's going to do. Mm-hmm. Reduce the... the um, reduce the... Uh,
1: Serious symptoms. The seriousness symptoms,
0: right? And then reduce hospitalizations, right? Mm. So I'll get, let's say I'm willing to concede on that, and that's what it does. Mm. But the fact that you research raw data, you won't won't release it, and you've asked, you've said, so you were able to turn around in a year Mm -hmm. and create this mRNA vaccine, but then you've claimed it's undue stress to have to release... A document or all the documents and you've asked to do something ridiculous and I, don't quote me on this no, no. but i think it's like a hundred pages a week for 50 years that's what they've asked can we release it at that and it's like no you go to your dropbox and you hit share and like, i'm always a fan of you, transparency yeah so I mean the fact general. that the raw data has been concealed mm. and they're fighting in court not to release the raw research data that's fishy at best
1: Yeah, and, you know, this gets into even just your overall view of of human nature and whether or not uh, there's, you know, there's a a mens rea or a a mental, like, purposeful action in any of this. If there's, you know, nefarious Mm -hmm. intentions or if people are just doing the best and screwing up. And I I don't know. Um, But, you know, these conversations... You're talking to a lawyer, so my general brain goes to devil's advocate. What I actually believe in all of this sometimes can change when I go home and think about it later on tonight. Yeah. Right now, we're doing this thing. Where I'm go going to send you this article point, and you're maybe. going to read it. Fair enough. But, you know, counterpoint, counterpoint, go back and forth, and so I start kind of getting a an a unintentional side I'm taking, and that's sort of my training, but then I'll go home and think about it, and, you know, I, I, it, I don't know where I'll fall. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I do think that right now... The numbers of people in certain fields are pointing in one direction, which is why I vaccinated myself, um, or rather, had someone who was trained to do it. Do it, but, uh, <laughs> 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 but anyhow, that, you know yeah, me too well. Return. You knew I was going to jump on. Yeah, that. I, I figured.
0: <laughs> I thought you went Phil Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I'm immunized.
1: Right. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of transparency.
0: Yeah, hey, he doesn't need to be transparent. He reports to nobody except his organization, and apparently they knew his status. So, uh,
1: yeah. Well, then they're they're the transparency. And
0: would too. would you trust the media with your health data?
1: N- no, if I was someone of of like uh, someone in the media, like someone with some sort of um, presence, no, I wouldn't trust them with anything. Yeah, exactly. Because no they're going to spin it. To we just had this conversation mm-hmm. about you know. The, and this is so basic. We all know that the news spins things to provide a bigger story, and yet we still read it as though it's gospel truth, the first yeah. run. And I'm not a fake news guy. Just human nature. If it fake it, we're just talking to anyone, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean we can go back to the McDonald's story with the old lady. Exactly. It went from this is a pretty bad thing that happened and McDonald's needs to do something about it to, it was spun to, this old lady's a piece of shit for soon for getting hot coffee kind of thing, this right?
1: This is funny, actually. I just watched this, Stephen, and you get a kick out of it, but it was on, it was just a YouTube video and it was back in the, night, I mean, it was very grainy color, so you mm-hmm. can do the math. I don't know, 19, late 1940s maybe. I'm not sure when color TV really took off. but Like the uh, 70s? <laughs> maybe it was that late. <laughs> it was really old though and it was about people in Appalachia and it was, A news story about how really, and they use the terms like, you know, these primitive people, you know, don't have an education and don't, in essence, know what's good for themselves. And, you know, his brothers, his uncle. Yeah, well, (laughs) yeah, they know that. But, you know, then, you know, but luckily, you know, we're bringing in all this industry that'll help turn this area around, you know, make way for the helpful coal man, you know, and oh, here comes hydroelectric power. And all of these kinds of things that there was even one gentleman speaking, but they didn't have, um, they didn't have him actually speaking into a camera. he was being interviewed in a field and he was speaking, and the announcer is talking for him. You know he talked about the grounds all bad now, you know it used to be good, but now it's bad and I guess the point is this's been a long standing thing of media being manipulative. This is not new <laughs> it's just it was amazing to me.
0: You should look up on youtube the old uh the old um Videos they used to put in schools for drug education on marijuana. Oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah. devil's lettuce. It's, oh.
1: People, like, melting into couches.
0: Yeah, just horrific, right. like, lies. No. There
1: was even a South Park episode that those guys can be pretty witty. Uh, <laughs> I loved, they talked about how, you know, they'd done this crazy stuff to try to convince their son, these characters, that he shouldn't try marijuana, and they faked that there was a version of him from the future, um, mm-hmm. but the... It ended up being that, you know, the, the moral of the story was, you know what? We probably shouldn't go you know to this degree to try to discourage you. We should probably just be honest with you and tell you that, you know, it's probably not going to ruin your life, but it can make you feel apathetic or at least okay with just doing that, where you should yeah. be out learning a new skill or do something with your life. And, I mean, I think there if there really are compelling reasons not to do something, then we should just use those. They're often good enough. But, again, news and, and campaigns and special interests come in, and we blow it up. It becomes overstated and then we believe none of it. When there was maybe a grain of truth.
0: Well, I've said this many times on the podcast, I don't know if I've said it to you. You're but getting me riled up over here, man. The <laughs> level of freedom that I would advocate for mm-hmm. would make Montanans uncomfortable. To and, and let me let me finish the thought here. I'm all for heroin being legal. Mm-hmm. I'm all for opioids being legal. You know, if if you want to take some form of opium by all means. Right. Okay. And I want the government to get their share because it might mean they take less of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, probably Dependent not. Policing costs yeah. And I can see um, where you going. You know, we've seen success with this in Portugal. We've seen success with it in Amsterdam, where when you take vices and legalize them and actually have things in place to where there's checks and balances, it's a better system for all. You can partake or you cannot partake. And guess what? Most of the people in Amsterdam go s- don't go to the red light district and see hookers. And most of the people that use drugs in um, Portugal are not addicts to the what we right, see as no, addicts, I, right? I understand that. Um, now, probably shouldn't be making meth. Meth's not a fun thing. Well, that's thing. really kind of um, back
1: to the swinging your fist thing.
0: Yeah. But here's what I was going to say. I'm all for that, right? Yeah. What I'm not for is the... What I'm not for is just a free-for-all, right? And I think that's the difference with... um, I want the government as far away from most things as possible. But drugs is something they probably should be in. Make your money, all right? And we're seeing that with weed now. Right. I've never touched any kind of illicit drug. I don't even like taking aspirin, right, for a headache. I've never smoked weed. I've never taken any kind of... Psychedelics, never injected anything, never smoked something I shouldn't, never put anything up my nose. It just doesn't interest me. The legalized weed here, guess what? I didn't run out and think, oh, now I've got to try it because it's legal. And I think that's the mindset we've got to have that, all right, look, there's vices that we don't partake in, all right? I also don't pay for sex. But if somebody wants to do that, I would rather they were doing it in a place that was controlled and the government was getting a cut of it. than some guy was on the street slapping multiple women around and taking most of the money they earn, right? Because what we do is we create these exploitative situations.
1: Now, I actually would agree with you about everything there. Um, I don't know how that would look. Uh, I, You know, again, I am not. I don't know how you'd go setting that up. But in general, and I also think, same on the prostitution side, you know, what a woman wants to do... Uh, it's not really my business so long as it's not impacting my life. In other words, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think you should have people, you know, walking down the street uh, with, you know, barely any clothes on in front of a, a, a playground, right, yeah. you know. Um, but if there's a – I, I guess what you're getting at is is legalization with regulation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and, and I have a hard time faulting that in general.
0: Which is what we have with opioids except we can kind of empower the wrong people. Right, but – we yeah. empower the wrong people and incentivize doctors, doctors to write yeah. not just doctors the pharma companies oh, right. the pharma companies were able to incentivize doctors and I don't know if you know this um, but with the opioid stuff if doctors weren't prescribing enough of a certain medication they would get a black mark like mm-hmm. you're not doing this right mm-hmm. you're not treating your customers the way you're supposed to or your patients not customers um, which is screwed up I just l- I've been listening I think three podcasts in the last two weeks about the opioid epidemic and mm. um, which has been mind blowing for me. A lot more about yeah. it than I do.
1: I'm aware so. of the basics. Yeah,
0: but, but I'm, like I said, the, the scourge of my life is I want to know things. I want to know, like, I don't just want to know why drugs are illegal. I want to know, okay, what was the thought process here? Like, why are we still in this place right. where someone that wants to use cocaine can't use cocaine? And I, mean, I
1: guess I'm, that's where, again, like I mentioned, you know, it comes back to the swing your fist, where the bridge of another person's nose begins. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of drugs out there that don't cause people to. Be violent. It might make them a little loopy, and I'm not. God, I, I'm not a uh, an expert by any means either. But I think, like you said, methamphetamines mm-hmm. that oftentimes leads to something on my property or in my life. Well, uh,
0: f- fentanyl's evil. Like that's a bad. But to bad your drug. it's
1: it's pure evil. But to your yeah. point, that's one of those drugs where. I mean, just using your, your analysis or your, your rule would be one of your more legal ones because it doesn't mm-hmm. often result in crimes to others. Yeah, It's destroying people's lives themselves. Mm. Again, I don't necessarily agree that they should be able to do that. I would but argue
0: that. So the problem with fentanyl, and yeah, this is, uh, again, newly acquired information um, from multiple sources, but fentanyl is what we would refer to as a downer. So Right, um, it's a suppressing. Yeah, so people take it; it relaxes their heart and all the rest of it. So when you overdose on fentanyl, essentially your heart stops, yeah. blood isn't pumping, um, lungs aren't breathing, oxygen yeah. isn't going right. anywhere. Um, right? So then the anti drug or the antidote, if Narcan. you like, is Narcan. Right. So you go from this super suppressed state to here's Narcan, which is like adrenaline on friggin' adrenaline on crack. Where I
1: thought it just blocked receptors no. for like opioids Narcan
0: sure? when people wake up uh-huh. after taking Narcan it's like and they're hyper strong yeah. they are they don't know where they're at they're disoriented like you should speak to paramedics about oh. this like it blew my mind like I've yeah. spoke to mul- and it's like yeah we don't like giving Narcan but we have to do it right. and essentially it's one. Of, it's it's kind of like a firework you give it and you either hold them down mm-hmm. after you give it or you give it and you run
1: because
0: wow. when, when they come to it's it's like eyes wide open, angry, full of strength. The blood's pumping again. Their heart's now going at friggin' double what it should. So they go from basically zero to a hundred like that. Huh. It's wild. Like the fentanyl Narcan thing. It's think it um, like you
1: know a lot about it than I do. A yeah. lot more about it than I
0: do. Yep we went down a lot of roads today that I did, did not expect to um, <laughs> that was kind of did I make plan, you nervous your, red, your, your neck's a bit red or are you just warm really
1: I'm yeah. a little warm
0: uh, maybe I may, I, I'm yeah, going to go I'm with I'm that flushed. made you nervous. Um, how do people find you if they wanted to talk to you, let's say, professionally or sure. even personally?
1: Talk to me about something I'm actually qualified to talk about. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'm kind of old school. I think a phone call is always just the best way to get a hold of somebody and, and, and get in. com. Yeah, Findlay-Silcher-Law.com. Um But my phone number is five. Put no. your
0: phone number on here. You don't know who's going to call it.
1: Yeah, but it's a work line. That's what I get every day don't do anyway. It.
0: No, they can find you online. But you don't Fine. want to put your phone number on sure. <laughs> <laughs> so com. Now, if they go on your website and start calling you, that's one thing. But, wait. yeah, I don't know that I trust putting a phone number on this. Fair enough.
1: So, yeah. Well, you I, know better than I do. I don't know what kind of uh, characters listen to your podcast.
0: I just know there's a lot of them. and Yeah. yeah.
1: They occupy the... Uh, alleys and dark places in this world. Well,
0: there's also the the possibility. But they all I mean, have cell phones. There's also the possibility that I don't know AI and all that stuff that you start getting scam calls and it's you track it back to when you were on the podcast. Fair enough. So I'd rather that you directed them to websites, social media and stuff rather than give a phone well, I number. I appreciate you looking out for me. Um because I know how I used to fuck with people as well. <laughs> and if I hear a phone number on a podcast, I mean yeah. fuck with people. Yeah, okay. Um oh, can I tell you a story what I've been doing recently? Please. Uh just to lighten the mood a bit because we talked about some pretty heavy stuff Um, my phone tells me it says scam likely when people are calling me now Yeah. so whether I'm in the car or I've got my airpods or whatever and when I get those calls now I used to send them a voicemail and be mad about it because they'd leave me like a long voicemail and then I'd have to delete that I answer it now and it's always like hi can I speak to Stephen Brown and they've got your name or hi I'm calling about your federal student loans which I don't have I never went to school in this country right but when it's a live person, I let them say their spiel at the start, and I go, what are you wearing? <laughs> There's always an awkward silence. Mm-hmm. And they'll say something again, like, yeah, I'm calling about. And I'm like, oh, do you want me to take my pants off now? Okay. And they just hang up. Like, I- I've like I've got it down to an art form now to where it's like a, two or three things that I say, and then they hang up on me, and I'm like, there we go.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you been enjoy uh, enjoy those parts of life. <laughs> my uncle, or, I think it was my great uncle, something like that, had a. He would do something similar. He would uh, when people would call for a sales call, and back then this was a long time ago. These were actual sales calls for you know vacuums or whatever. Mm-hmm. So people, salesmen, really trying to 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 sell, and that was that was how they made their living. He would uh, act like they had called a ship. And so he'd be like, you know, this is such and such up at the bridge, and oh, we're really interested. Really interested. Let me let me transfer you down to you know the bilge, or whatever. He and so he just would move them all around the ship and keep them on the phone for as long as he mm-hmm. could. He'd make ship sounds. Um, <laughs> I think this was later on in his life when he was a little more bedridden, but uh, he got a kick out of it too. You so. got to have fun with it. Yeah, if People are going to fuck
0: with you. Fuck with them yeah, right back.
1: They stepped into your life.
0: Yeah, and I'm the only one that's sworn as well. So you you went a whole podcast without swearing. I never swear, well, Steve. Well done. I, I bet I could make you swear uh, off there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, just sh- yeah. Just shut it off. And uh, yeah.
0: Exactly. All right. I appreciate everybody listening. If you can rate, review, and share, that would be wonderful. Thank you, Phil. Maybe we'll have you on again after I move. We'll, we'll teach you how to do Zencaster and join Great. me for other things. Anytime I've got legal questions, you're my go-to.
1: Okay.
0: Um, I'm going to hand them a dollar and put them on a retainer. Um. So, yeah, thanks for listening. And until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other.